Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, today's podcast is a look at the Norway Pavilion at Epcot, and this is the 13th and final podcast in the series about World Showcase. I've really enjoyed doing these, digging into the details and trying to reveal some things about World Showcase and some of its history. Now, I know a lot of things have changed over the years, and sometimes some of the things that I said in the podcast did change. I went back and looked at them, looked for things myself, and sometimes those things weren't there anymore. A lot of things change over time, but historically, they were there, and it's kind of interesting to look back on it and reflect on what it was at some point in time. Now, I'll put links to the other shows in my show notes page so you can go back and listen to the other 12 podcasts at your leisure. As I've done in the other 12 podcasts, I'll break this up, I'll give you an overview, talk about the buildings, designs, and architecture, then move on to talk about the grounds, outdoor gardens, and displays. I'll then head inside and talk about all the inside displays, shopping, and afterward I'll tell you about the entertainment that you'll find, characters and kids stuff, and I'll end with dining options and drinking around the world. And finally, I'll give you some details on what either was planned for the pavilion or is planned for the future. Now in the podcast where I talked about the time between opening day and the opening of Morocco, I mentioned the connection between Scandinavia and Epcot, but I don't think I did it justice, so I'd like to fill in some of the blanks here. Denmark expressed an interest in joining the World Showcase before the original park opened, and appeared on some of the initial drawings in the late 1970s, and then it disappeared. But interestingly, Disney put up a single building of somewhat vague Scandinavian design on a plot of land between Mexico and China. And what was that building, you may ask? That would be a restroom. Yeah, it turns out to be a little amusing how the country of Denmark appeared, sort of, but sometime between park opening and maybe about 1986. The reason for this restroom, by the way, was that only every other pavilion among the 21 in the semicircle that went around the World Showcase Lagoon was going to have restroom facilities, and neither Mexico nor China had them, so they had to put them somewhere. Now, Denmark was later considered for Epcot's Phase 2, but disappeared for a second time. And then, sometime around 1983, the idea was resurrected for a third time, but was met with less interest because of the cost associated with it. So instead, the pitch was to create a Scandinavia pavilion that would include Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. And it looked like it was going to get the proverbial green light. Companies were lined up, and the initial designs were started, and then it fell apart yet again. By now, Norway was the most interested of the three, and they lined up many of the companies. Norman International, one of Oslo's largest construction companies. Selmarsan Construction, Den Norsk Credit Bank, Vesta Gruppen Infrastructure Finance, Norkem Industrial, Cosmos Shipping, Det Norsk Veritas Marine Insurance, Fryanor Norsk Frosenfisk Seafood, Norsk Data Technology, and Norway Foods Limited. SAS also sponsored the Spirit of Norway film, which guests see after exiting the Maelstrom, and the government of Norway to cover the cost of construction. 
1985, the design was revised to be called Norway, Gateway to Scandinavia. It kept pushing forward and went through several modifications and changes, ultimately leading to it just being Norway, with a planned opening in the spring of 1988. And this pavilion was going to have one thing that no other pavilion had had to this point, a thrill ride. This was to be an e-ticket type of attraction, and only the second attraction in all of World Showcase. The pavilion soft opened in May of 1988, but the official opening and dedication of the Norway Pavilion was on Friday, June 3, 1988. Crown Prince Harold V and his wife Sanja of Norway dedicated the location. Now, incidentally, since then, Harold has gone on to be the king. He was actually coronated in 1991. There was a live primetime television broadcast of the opening ceremonies sent back to Norway on the NRK, basically the Norwegian Broadcasting Company, the largest media company in the country. Ladies and gentlemen, wishing the best of luck to Disney World and those who will be responsible for the operation of the pavilion, I hereby declare the Norway Pavilion open. Thank you. The enthusiastic crowd and the seated dignitaries soaked in the moment and enjoyed the, the opening of the last pavilion in Epcot's World Showcase. Then the pre-recorded song, When You Wish Upon a Star, supplemented by live, a live chorus dressed in the pavilion's costumes and marching band, Cloud and Black, went out and sang and performed. The World Showcase dancers uh, were there as well, clad in white and gold costumes, performing on the promenade in front of the pavilion. There was a release of red, white, and balloons, the colors of the Norwegian flag, from the top of the building housing the Maelstrom attraction, followed by fireworks from the same location. North Show President Gunnar German said, We think the pavilion will make Norway much better known. And perhaps he was right. There was a claim that tourism did increase after the opening of the pavilion. Now, one thing I want to mention here, and that's the cost of the pavilion. The Norwegian sponsors contributed just over $30 million to the design and construction, but the actual cost was closer to $46 million, so Disney covered the rest and continued to negotiate and ask for help in covering it. Now, the relationship between Norway and Disney was never contentious, as I understand it, but they never got the money. And the ultimate cost and the cost overruns that went along with it would explain why other countries were and still are reluctant to get on board. 
But the financial arrangement details didn't help either. Norway owned a stake in the pavilion, and for the first decade, Disney split the profits from food and merchandise sales with Norway, 60% going to the country and Disney keeping the remaining 40%. And then at the end of the decade, Disney bought their stake back. But based on the initial investment, it was at a net loss for Norway. The Norwegian government kicked in money for a few years for upkeep of the pavilion, but in 2002 they ended their arrangement because they didn't see a return that was significant enough for them. They had indicated that based on what they saw, they didn't see an influx of tourists to the actual country as they claimed to have in the past. Incidentally, the U.S. Embassy lobbied Norway on Disney's behalf to keep the stake, but to no avail. Ultimately, the government of Norway pulled out of the Epcot Pavilion. Now let's talk about the grounds and gardens. The basic design of the pavilion is a courtyard with another small area on the outside of the courtyard. The idea was to create a town that evokes visions of an oceanside town somewhere along the North Sea. It draws inspirations from four real cities, Setestale, Bergen, Oslo, and Esjland. And of course, the one animated city of Arendelle. Now one thing about the pavilion is that there is nothing along the lagoon to speak of. Unlike most of the other pavilions that have something of interest out by the water, Norway doesn't. Of course, you'll find the location between Mexico and China, and it's actually kind of oddly situated on the plot immediately next to China, so much so that there isn't even a service space between them. Now, had they built 21 pavilions, this wouldn't seem so odd, but with only 11, it seems oddly crowded right there between Norway and China. But it does stand in the place that was once intended for Denmark and did have the bathrooms on opening day. If we approach Norway from Mexico, the first thing we encounter is the Royal Summer House, which is the recreation of the faux Norway, also known as Arendelle, from the movie Frozen. It looks a little like Norway, but it's really a recreation of the set of Frozen. You're taken into the summer cottage, and inside that is a princess meet and greet with Anna and Elsa. And then, of course, you exit from there into a gift shop. Next up, as you walk along, is the Stave Church. Now, a Stave Church is a medieval wooden Christian church building, once common in northwestern Europe. The name derives from the building structure of post and lintel construction, a type of timber framing where the load-bearing or pine posts are called steffer in Old Norse, or stave in modern Norwegian. In the 12th and 13th centuries, more than 800 stave churches were built, eventually reaching a peak of more than 1,300 of them. Unfortunately, most were destroyed for a variety of reasons or fell apart from neglect because the wood couldn't continually withstand the harsh Norwegian weather. Today, only about two dozen stave churches remain. The one here in Epcot is based on one from about 1212 in the Common Era that was preserved in the Norwegian Folk Museum in Oslo. Now, there's a statue of King Olaf II sitting in front of the church. Now, King Olaf II was also known as Olaf the Round. Even though this statue flatters him and makes him look a little less round, it sits in front of the church. He ruled Norway in the early thousands in the Common Era and is credited with bringing Norway into the modern era. And his placement in front of the church was done to reflect the fact that he, once he was once believed to have brought Christianity to Norway. Though more modern understanding suggests he wasn't responsible for that, it still lives in the folklore and that works out well and that's why they put him in front of the state church. Now you can step inside the building and see the ornate carvings in a little museum of sorts. Now tucked in behind the state church is a statue of runner Greta Weitz. She was a Norwegian marathon runner and former world record holder. In 1979, she became the first woman in history to run the marathon in under two and a half hours. She won nine New York City marathons between 1978 and 1988. 
more than any other runner in history. She won a silver medal at the 1984 Olympic Games in Los Angeles and a gold at the medal at the 1983 World Championships in Helsinki. Her other marathon victories, including win the, winning the London Marathon in 1983 and 1986, she was also the five-time winner of the World Cross Country Championships. So she's a very well-known and well-respected Norwegian woman, and it makes sense to have a statue of her there at the Norway Pavilion in Epcot. Now, behind the statue, you'll see an unusual building. It has a grass roof. Now, this is a traditional Scandinavian type of green roof covered with sod on top of several layers of birch bark on gently sloping wooden roof boards. Until the late 19th century, it was the most common roof on rural log houses in Norway and large parts of the rest of Scandinavia. Now, its distribution roughly corresponds to the distribution of log building technique in the vernacular architecture of Finland and the Scandinavian peninsula. Now, on a more in a more technical sense, the load of approximately 250 kilograms per square meter of a sod roof is an advantage because it helps to compress the logs and make the walls more draft-proof. In the winter, the total load may increase to 400 to 500 kilograms per square meter because of the snow that accumulates on the roof. Sod is also a reasonably efficient insulator in a cold climate. So this is a very ingenious thing that they did. The birch bark underneath ensures that the roof will be waterproof. It's so ingenious. It's very clever, isn't it? Finally, as you walk along, you'll reach the courtyard of the town. Since Norway and all the Scandinavian countries are seafaring nations and their history is so closely linked to the sea, the pavilion is a representation of a Norwegian fishing village. The fortress that dominates the pavilion and appears on the right of the courtyard is home to the Akershus Royal Banquet Hall. This imposing fortress first began construction in the late 1290s in Oslo by King Hakon V, replacing Tenderberg as one of the two most important Norwegian castles of the period. The fortress has successfully survived all attempts to capture it, primarily by Swedish forces, including those by forces of Charles XII in 1716. But it surrendered to the German army during World War II without a fight. Today, it's used for official events and dinners, for dignitaries and foreign heads of state. If you look closely, you'll see ornate metal objects that look like cattle horns on the side of the building. These are anchor points that connect iron rods going through the building, which actually supports the heavy stone structure. Before I-beams, without these structures, the walls would collapse under their own weight. Again, very clever and ingenious. For the time that they put this up, this is very smart and a little bit different than what other people in the world were creating. Now, don't miss the detail in the stonework and even notice a window that has been bricked over, much like the original has in several spots. You may also notice slots and other holes in the facade. These were arrow and gun holes used to defend the fortress. Now straight back in the pavilion is the attraction entrance and some detailed rock work that represents the fjords in the country. Island is typified by the white stucco and stone-trimmed information and maelstrom buildings. To the left is the gift shop known as the gallery and the puffins roost. Its architecture shows the inland farm log construction of Stetsdale. The fjording shop with its gabled windows captures the spirit of Bergen. A little further up along the promenade is a stage where you might see an occasional performance. Now let's talk about shopping in the pavilion. As you exit the Royal Summer House, you'll enter the Wandering Reindeer, which naturally sells all of the frozen merchandise you could possibly want. There is one other shop in the pavilion with several different rooms, and it's called the Puffin's Roost. A puffin is a stocky, short-winged, and short-tailed bird with a black upper part. Although it's not a penguin, there is a resemblance. In Scandinavian countries, they abound and are hunted for eggs, feathers, and for their meat. You'll find a large selection of books on trolls, Vikings, Scandinavian cuisine, Norwegian proverbs, and Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales. 
If tasting some of the local snacks is more your style, check out the chocolate Swedish preserves and the Nordic sweets. The shop offers an extensive collection of sterling silver jewelry, including Opro designs, Hilde Fosvit, and Hasla. The Norwegian scents sold here for men and women are Gær, the power of Norway, and Leila, the essence of Norway. They offer Norwegian trolls in all shapes and sizes, Konga Tin Royal Pewter, Lina Akavit, and Tumulton Knives. The clothing for men, women, and children are made by Dale of Norway and Heli Hansen. Now, something I wanted to point out to you as you look around in the pavilion. Cast members wear a traditional folk uh, type of outfit that's called a bunad. It's not as elaborate as the real ones, but it's amazingly close. So this is a, a traditional type of thing you might see Norwegians wearing. As far as entertainment, naturally, Anna and Elsa were added to Arendelle, or I mean Norway. The Frozen Ever After ride is cute and clever. Follow Queen Elsa on a story based on the movie, but which doesn't simply retell the story.
The Kidcot station is in the Puffins Roost, closest to the promenade end of the building. At times, there are shows appearing on the stage area, but nothing regular. There's currently a small group of Vikings that greet guests near the Stave Church. Let's talk for a minute about drinking around the world. Some people enjoy sampling adult beverages from countries around World Showcase. There is an alcoholic coffee available inside the Kringla Bakery called Viking Coffee. There's also a beverage cart that offers Danish Jarlsberg beer, a couple of non-Norwegian wines, and a Scandinavian liquor called Lina Equavit Glacier, which is served by the shot. The story is that if you can take the shot and don't grimace within five seconds, you're a true Viking. Care to try it out? Oh, and by the way, the cart is right in front of the bathrooms, which is a funny throwback to the pavilion's early days. As far as restaurants, there are two eateries, the Kringla Bakery and Akershus. Kringla Bakery is a quick-service place that serves bakery items, sandwiches, and snacks. The items are displayed in a case, so there's no need to wonder what's what. You can see it in front of you. Many people love the school bread, but I find it to be too sweet myself. There's a covered seating area just outside that you can sit and relax and enjoy views of the promenade and look out over World Showcase Lagoon. The Akershus Royal Banquet Hall is a buffet-style eatery. It has three dining areas. One is the main area with the beautiful wooden beams, chandeliers and ornate and tall windows. The second is a room with white stonework all around, almost like a dungeon. There's a third small area that resembles a medieval roadside inn. All are cozy and detailed. As you would expect, there's a good amount of seafood offered at the salad bar, and it's a buffet-style eatery. While Norway still sponsored the pavilion, this was a simple buffet that was easy to find a table at and which served authentic food. Then in 2005, after the sponsorship ended, Disney got the idea to make it a princess-themed buffet for every meal and changed the menu a bit to accommodate a more American palate. They still do Norwegian dishes, but it's not quite the same, and because it's a princess-themed meal, it's much harder to get a table. And, of course, the price went up, too. Oh, and I also didn't mention this. There's a frozen treat cart that's near the drink cart, which offers ice cream and Mickey bars, of course. Now, what nearly was, or in this case, what was, this pavilion was designed with everything that Disney and Norway wanted to showcase. In this case, this is more about what was removed from the pavilion. Norway sponsored the pavilion until the early 2000s. At that point, Disney picked up the maintenance costs. Then along came the movie Frozen, which was a surprise hit, even to Disney. They never expected it to be this wildly successful. So much so that based on movies that were greeted with a shrug in the past, they opted not to create a large merchandise line and didn't produce a lot of inventory of toys that they did sell. But the movie's popularity caused them to quickly beef up the toy line and have items ready to go by the time the movie made it to DVD. But the timing was unfortunate because the movie was released over Thanksgiving and Disney missed out on a lot of the holiday sales that year. So in some ways, it's no surprise that Disney had a bit of a knee-jerk reaction along the lines of, hey, we're not going to let this happen again, and opened the meet and greet in the Magic Kingdom within a few weeks. But Disney wasn't content and wanted to really promote Queen Elsa and the movie. So they made a fateful decision that since Frozen was based on a story called The Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen, who was from Denmark, they would add some thematic things to, from the movie to the Norway Pavilion, which, of course, had been Scandinavia and before that Denmark. Uh, look, I, I get it. And I think that if they had decided to simply retheme the pavilion back to Norway, gateway to Scandinavia, and then built Arendelle to the side, it would have worked. Certainly, they could have paid tribute to Hans Christian Andersen as well. And in my humble opinion, it could have come out well. 
But instead, they left it as Norway and meshed up the pavilion itself into a hybrid of the animated movie and a fictitious place with the actual country, and then also changed the Norway ride into a Frozen-themed attraction. It's cute, but it doesn't quite fit in the middle of the town's courtyard. I don't have a problem with them replacing the old ride, per se, but this mashup just feels haphazard. Perhaps if they'd moved the entrance to the side where they created Arendelle, it could have fit a little better. They could have closed off the existing entrance and made it into another facade for Norway. That would have kind of fixed it all, I think. You get Norway and you get Frozen and they can coexist, but they never asked me, so what do I know? But back to the ride itself. Before it became the Frozen Ever After, it was called the Maelstrom, and it had a post-show movie. Disney promoted the Maelstrom thusly. When was the last time you went over a waterfall? Backwards. Had your life threatened by a nasty old three-headed river troll? Come within a whisker of a 12-foot polar bear? Challenged whitewater rapids and brave thunderous storm-tossed North Sea? The last time may be the first time you ride the Maelstrom, the new thriller at Epcot Center. It's a sea adventure of legendary proportions, now open in the fabulous new Norway showcase. They encouraged you to conquer the maelstrom. All you needed was the guts of a Viking. The reality didn't quite live up to the hype, though. It was hardly a thrill ride requiring the guts of a Viking. Here's how the official Epcot website described maelstrom in 2006. Tricky trolls are out to befuddle you as you explore the heritage of Norway in this adventure-packed boat ride. Watch for polar bears and pirates and hold on tight as you plummet backwards into the stormy North Sea. The spirit of adventure is always alive on the maelstrom. And I think that better summed it up. As I mentioned earlier, when the attraction for the Norway Pavilion was originally being developed, Imagineers wanted to give the Pavilion Epcot Center's first thrill ride. They called it Sea Venture, a sea adventure. Norway's attraction would take guests through a 946-foot flume ride, perhaps something more like Splash Mountain in a way. Guests would encounter mythical creatures such as trolls and gnomes as they search for the Rainbow Bridge to Valhalla. The attraction's true thrill was to come from a new ride system which allowed Imagineers to reverse the direction of the boat during the ride. This had never been done before, but the imagineering of Dave Van Wyck resulted in the idea. But that's not all. The Sherman Brothers were asked to create a song for Sea Venture. Remember that we're in the mid-1980s and the Sherman Brothers hadn't done much new work for Disney in some time, and most of the current Imagineers had never met them. But they invited the brothers over and explained the ride concept. The story goes that the Imagineers were like fanboys when they met the Legends. But the Shermans were excited too, and very interested in helping out, and were ready to go off and write a song. But, you knew there had to be a but, right? Disney had a story, and a song, and Sea Venture was shown to the sponsors from Norway, and they didn't like it. They wanted their attraction to be more of a travel log, which would show all that Norway had to offer and increase tourism, rather than taking guests on a mythological adventure. They also gave the Imagineers a list of things that they wanted to include in the attraction, and they included Vikings, a fishing village, a polar bear, a fjord, and an oil rig. Sponsors matter because they hold the money. Imagineers eventually decided that the ride would take guests on a time-traveling boat tour through Norway's history. In the new layout, guests would begin with a Viking scene, then, then go through Norwegian folklore, and end in the modern-day Norway. Unfortunately, the Sherman Brothers song didn't fit, and it was dropped. But many of the concepts were kept with some tweaks to make them fit. Visual effects, the backwards boat, and a drop stayed in the design. And the Imagineers decided on a cool effect they wanted to tackle. A full-scale replica of a North Sea storm, which would include wind, waves, rain, thunder, and real lightning. There's a story here that the Imagineers hoped to create a real lightning using a Tesla coil, but after a few small-scale trials, they couldn't figure out how to ensure guest safety, so they dropped the idea and went with some special effects for lighting. A Tesla coil was a concept pioneered by scientists, uh, 
by a scientist in the 1890s named Nikolai Tesla. He was trying to create electrical innovation, such as a means to transmit electricity over a distance and provide lighting, both of which he could do without the need for wires. An invention of his provided the prospect that could do both. The Tesla coil is a device that creates a high-voltage, low-current burst that looks to the eye like a spark of lightning. It's safer than lightning, though, because the current is low. But it's still dealing with high voltage, and the maelstrom is a water ride, so there was some inherent danger. So due to the thematic change on the ride, the attraction changed names from Sea Venture to Maelstrom. And a funny thing that happened along the way, the sign for Sea Venture was actually placed at the entrance to the ride at some point during the construction. It was changed to Maelstrom just before park opening. Construction began on the Norway Pavilion on May 27, 1986, and the ride show building was constructed early on, so the rest of the ride could be installed shortly after. Though the pavilion itself soft-opened in May and the dedication was in June, the Maelstrom didn't open until July 5th. There were many stories as to why the delay occurred. The most common were that the splashdown was too rough and the rain in the North Sea soaked the guests. But there was also one about a reporter being thrown from the ride. Personally, I think those are all stories, and the truth would be more along the lines of tight timelines, new effects, and a modified storyline that had to be fit into the design, and it took a little longer than they had. Between opening day and the ultimate closure 25 years later, there were very few changes to the attraction. The smoke effects in in both the troll scene and the reverse scene were both toned down, and the wave and rain effects in the North Sea were toned down as well. But otherwise, it essentially remained unchanged. The queue line meandered past a huge map of the earliest sea routes pioneered by Norway seamen, among them a route taken by the, to the Americas before Christopher Columbus arrived in the New World. On the opposite wall is an impressive mural that depicted life in Norway, from the Viking times to the modern times. If you look closely at the mural, you would see people at a campfire and next to them a troll complete with hands in the shape of the mountain. Trolls are similar to Ireland's leprechauns, and they're part of Scandinavian mythology. They do not like people and in fact will do harm to them. In one of the drawings was a Viking ship with Vikings aboard, but you could only see their silhouettes, and one of them, instead of wearing Viking horns, was clearly wearing Mickey Mouse ears. Very clever. Maelstrom began with guests sporting a Viking boat and sailing off into the distant past of the Norwegian folklore. After being set in motion, the boat ascended up a lift, which was surrounded by hieroglyphics. On the type of a hill, a large mask of Odin was seen. As guests approached the mask, light radiated from Odin's eye, and wind howled in the background. Odin spoke to the guests, saying, You are not the first to pass this way, nor shall you be the last. We have always lived with the sea, so look first to the spirit of the seafarer. Heeding Odin's advice, guests would then enter a scene which depicted a coastal Viking settlement, where various Vikings were shown preparing their boats. After seeing their settlement, the scope of the scene was expanded, and guests witnessed various Viking ships sailing off in the distance as a nearby man blew a horn, seemingly to announce their departure. After traveling through the Viking village, guests entered the next scene, which depicted a Norwegian forest. As guests traveled ahead, a large three-headed troll emerged. The troll had been angered by guest intrusion in the forest, which he called Troll Country, and then cast a spell over the boat, telling guests to go back, back, over the falls. At this point in the attraction, the boat began to move backwards, and guests went down a small descent. After the drop, guests found themselves in Norway's polar region. Here, guests floated past a polar bear menacingly standing on its hind legs. Continuing backwards, guests headed towards the pavilion's exterior waterfall, giving them a view of the world's showcase. Just as it seemed, the boat will go plunging down the waterfall, however. A large tree stump troll rose up and changed the direction of the boat once again. A cool feature was that 
As your direction changed, you backed up, and for a brief moment, your boat backed into an opening in the rock work in the courtyard. So the very end was exposed to the sunlight. If you were outside in the courtyard, you could see the boat peek through an opening in the rocks. At this point, guests fell forward down a 28-foot drop before finding themselves in the middle of the North Sea storm. As guests went down the attraction's largest drop, they could see a cruise ship sailing nearby. This was due to the fact that Norwegian Caribbean Lines was originally one of the pavilion sponsors. As wind and rain howled against the boats, guests came dangerously close to an oil rig. Eventually, however, the boats passed through the storm and arrived safely at a harbor in a small fishing village. Before unloading, guests heard one last narration which concluded, Norway's spirit has always been, will always be, adventure. The boats used as ride vehicles in the Maelstrom were designed to look like those from the time of Eric the Red, miniature replicas of the Viking longships, complete with the dragon's head bow, that for centuries terrorized Europe. In the village that served as the attraction's unloading area, guests could see the buildings that had company signs on them. These companies were the original sponsors of the pavilion before their contract expired. And amazingly, because it was the first thrill ride that appeared in Epcot's World Showcase, 5.7 million people rode Maelstrom in its first year of operation. On Walt Disney World's 4th of July spectacular, the Maelstrom Thrill Ride. Hey, thanks, Tempest. I'm right here in line for the world premiere of the Maelstrom Thrill Ride at Epcot's newest and 11th World Showcase Pavilion, Norway. You know, earlier, the pavilion was officially open with a fabulous, and I mean fabulous, celebration, including the Royal Norwegian Guard Band and the World Dancers. This is a troll. And this is not a troll. This is Gita. And like all the townspeople in Epcot's Norway Pavilion, Gita is actually from Norway. Hey, do they have a 4th of July celebration in Norway? Yes, we have, but we have ours in May. Got everything, parades and everything, but not the fireworks. Oh, oh, my dear. Wherever you are, there are fireworks. You know, Gita is just one of the many reasons that the Norway Pavilion makes you feel like you're actually in Norway. Oh, uh, one more thing, Gita. I'm here for the world premiere of the famous Malmstrom Thrill Ride. Uh, do you think I should go in the first boat? I beg your pardon? That means either you have to be very brave or very foolish. Well, I'm halfway there. Well, I'm trying to make up my mind. Hey, you know, it's decision time, and Webster defines Maelstrom as a powerful, often violent whirlpool, sucking in objects within a given radius. To ride or not to ride? That is the question. I have the answer. No, I'm not riding. You ride. Good luck, guys. Here we go. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bon voyage. Good sweet. Hey, all right. Looks like you made it. Maybe it got a little wet out there, huh? Hey, tell me, what'd you think about it? Oh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. It great family ride, and I especially enjoyed the storm at the North Sea. Oh, that's fun. You like things like that. Uh -huh. Oh, boy, I'm glad I didn't go. But let's take a look at that ride for ourselves. Dynamite. Hey, you know, that looks like something Jane and Bryant might enjoy, but not moi, because I'm your basic chicken.
gods. And those who seek the spirit of Norway face peril and adventure, but more often find beauty and charm. So look first to the spirit of the seafarer.
Now, some of the Viking audio animatronic figures uh, reused models from other Epcot Center attractions, such as Spaceship Earth and World of Motion. It made it much easier for the Imagineers to just duplicate where they could. He rode the attraction and exited to a set of doors where they would play a six-minute film. This was very un-Disney-like. It's rare that an exit to an attraction had you wait to see what amounted to an advertisement for the country. It was worth seeing once or twice, but otherwise was not compelling. It's, it also seemed a little dated and stale. At one point in the 90s, a Norway travel bureau created a new short movie that showed the more modern view of Norway and offered it to Disney as a replacement. Disney, according to legend, said it wasn't up to their standards and asked for a financial contribution to create a new movie. This ties back to my comment earlier in the podcast about it not being a contentious relationship, but these kinds of pesky things didn't help their relationship. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, World Disney World proudly presents the spirit of Norway. To know this land's heart and soul, to discover its spirit. Norway. To discover its spirit. It was born in challenge. In a thousand years of challenging the seas. It's a spirit that knows a quiet sense of timelessness. Spirit lives in daring. It lives in our traditions. Spirit, it 
lives in our people. spirit, it lives in our people. Oh, and one interesting thing about the seating in the theater, their chair backs are all wooden Scandinavian designs that were sleek and had an elegance to them. So that was kind of interesting and unusual too. Also, the area that became Arendelle was a shaded area that was always pleasant to relax in and at one point had a playground with a Viking ship that the kids could play on. Later, they just had part of the ship on display along with some artifacts that they uh, scattered around. And then ultimately they closed it and it became Arendelle. Well, there you go. That's my look at the Norway Pavilion in Epcot. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the entire series on World Showcase. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then... Gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 